Good morning. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wausau. My name is Donika Kozlovich, and I'm a member of this congregation, and I serve as the congregational administrator. <laughs> I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1870, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter, follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. And with that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the words printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. And now, if you would rise, if you are able, and join us in singing hymn number 346, Come Sing a Song With Me.
Please join me in the congregation's affirmation printed in your order of service. And it begins, Love is the doctrine of our church, the quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve humankind in fellowship, to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. Please rise again for our doxology. Welcome to have a seat. So now's the time, the story for all ages. I have two stories in mind. I guess I'll let you all choose your own adventure this morning, so choose wisely. The first one, I could tell you the story of Lord George. Lord Lloyd George. I always mess that name up. The British statesman, I could tell you a story about him. Or I could tell you um, a true story about a Unitarian Universalist who was stranded on an island. You get to pick which story you want this morning. On an island. Okay, so I can't even say the other person's name, so you probably chose wisely. So uh, this, this was maybe, uh, let's just say, 45 years ago, and there was a Unitarian Universalist who was sailing, and he crashed his sailboat into an island. And lucky for him, he had some seeds aboard, he had some food aboard, he had some bourbon aboard, and he decided to make a go of life on this island. What other choice did he have? And so for years, about a decade, this Unitarian Universalist lived alone on an island. He didn't have a subscription to the New Yorker. Heaven knows what he did all the time. But in any case, 10 years would pass. He would grow a nice, big, long beard. He would plant food. He would go fishing. And then a decade was passed, and he looked out way onto the expanse of the ocean, and what did he see? He saw an ocean liner, a massive boat, approaching. And so he threw every single last thing that he had that could catch on fire, and he lit it up into the sky to try to get this boat's attention. And as fate would have it, what happened? The boat stopped. They sent rescue vessels to this Unitarian Universalist deserted island, and they brought him back to the big boat, and he's haggard, and he's lost all this weight, and he smells terrible, and he hasn't touched another human being in a decade, and he just is beside himself. Finally, community. Finally, he's been rescued. He's going to live. And so he's standing aboard the bow of this ship, and he's turning back, and he's looking at this island that has been his home for the past 10 years of his life, and he's talking to this captain, and the captain is utterly floored by this man's story. And they're looking back on this island, and he says, tell me, friend, tell me about your island. And the man says, well, I lived there for 10 years. And he says, but what are these things you built? And he said, oh, 
And the captain pointed to the first thing. And the man said, that, that was my home. And the captain says, wonderful. And then the captain says, dear Unitarian Universalist, what is the second structure you built to your home? And he said, that, captain, is my church. And the captain nodded. And he said, but dear friend, what is this third structure you built? You built a home. You built a church. And what's this third thing you built? And he said, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> Anyways, that's the story for all ages this morning. It'll pertain to the sermon, I promise, if you listen closely. You're welcome to sing the story for all ages with us, if you, or the, the children's song, if you'd like. I'd like to invite you all now into a spirit of prayer and meditation. As I say every Sunday, prayer takes your whole body. And so start by putting both feet on the ground. Press them down into the ground for just a second and feel the sound earth below you. If it is your custom to pray or meditate with your eyes closed, now's the time to close them. But before we journey into silence, become aware of your body and your heart and your lungs, your friends and family members here in this sanctuary. Let us journey into silence with these words. O life, we give thanks for freedom. Freedom to reach out to those who are weary and heavy laden so that they may find rest. Healing for their wounds and illnesses, comfort for their despair and grief and new hope in the face of struggle. Healing love, let us learn to share the burdens of others so that they don't have to struggle alone. Show us how to appreciate one another, for we know we have been called to speak the truth in love. Spirit of life, we lift up our prayers for those who have no day spring in their lives, for the homeless and the lonely, the sick and dying, for those whose bodies and spirits cry out in pain, for those whose communities are racked with violence and hunger. O life, let our prayers be heard better than we can speak and guide our feet on pathways of peace and let us give thanks for justice in a world with too much injustice. Now let us call to mind the joys and sorrows in our own lives, and let us meditate on them in silence together now.
Amen. Our prayer hymn is printed in your order of service in this garden of the earth. Today's offering words come to us from John Saxon. This religious community exists by its mission as a fire exists by burning. But a fire cannot burn without fuel, and it is the time, the energy, the imagination, the vision, the creativity, the compassion, the love, and the financial support of the members and friends of this community that fuels our mission to nurture and sustain a welcoming, inclusive, and diverse liberal religious community that transforms lives and serves the world. Your support, the free and generous support of each and every member and friend of this community, is what fuels UUWASA and its mission. And without your support, the flame of justice, community, and love cannot burn brightly to warm ourselves and be a beacon in a world threatened by division and fear. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwasa.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you for your support.
Today's reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 11 to 18. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. We'll start this morning with a couple of questions. What does it mean to be good? Is being good something we do for ourselves, or is being good something we do in relationship with other people? I've known, and I expect you've known, or maybe even you know people who claim that what they're doing is good, and yet their actions cause pain and embarrassment. Is that good? I want us to think about these questions in the context of how we as individuals relate to the institutional commonwealth we lovingly refer to as the church. And I'm indebted to the late James Luther Adams for this line of questioning. 
For those of you who haven't heard of James Luther Adams before, he was a Unitarian minister who taught in Wellesley, Massachusetts, and then later he became a theologian and spent the end of his career at Harvard Divinity School. And what James Luther Adams believed was this. He said that the isolated good woman or the isolated good man is a fantasy. For Adams, there was only the good farmer, the good mother, the good citizen, the good church person, or the good plumber. Our personal goodness guides our living, and this is a good thing, but without people or a society to be good with, the good individual is good for nothing. After all, what good is goodness if you live on your own private island? What determines human goodness is the quality and the direction of our involvement in the world. And this rather complex explanation is captured a little bit more simply by a saying from Jesus who said, and maybe you know this quote, by their fruits ye shall know them. But James Luther Adams would like to add, by their groups shall you know them also. And the group I want to focus on this morning, as I've already said, is the church. Now the church, this church, all churches as we've come to know them, started more than 2,000 years ago. And as the story goes, Jesus gathered a group of 12 along with a few more unofficial members. And so like a kid picking players for the kickball team, he picked the best he could get, but he ended up with tax collectors and fishermen and a few other people with resumes so bad, if they were alive today, they probably wouldn't get hired to clean the bathroom at a Taco Bell. But he rolled the dice, and he founded what would become the church with a group of people who try their best but fail at times just like all the rest. The church was made out of human beings who, as the story goes, more or less, they were the same brew of wimpiness and grit, of smarts and stupidity, of selfishness and generosity, of openness of heart and obnoxiousness, as you will find in any one of us. And even after this church was formed out of this merry band, they pretty much continued to behave the exact same way as they always had, and this should sound familiar. Most of us here belong to a church. Most of us here belong to this church. And if we don't belong to this church, then at a minimum, we get down with a few of this church's values, and yet on most days, we're not all that different than everyone we know. We're all just trying to make it day by day without blowing a gasket or losing our jobs. I bet if you walk through the grocery store, Triggs or Pick and Save, pick your grocery store, and you stopped every single person in the aisle, I don't advise you do this, but if you decided to, if you stopped every single person in the aisle and you said, hey, is there something wrong with you? Is there someone in your life that has something wrong with them? What do you think their answer would be every single time? They would say, yes there's something wrong with me. Or if they were lying, they'd blame it on someone else. And so what makes church people different? So the word church comes to English from a Greek word, and that Greek word is ecclesia. And if you really translated the word ecclesia properly into English, it wouldn't just be church, it would be this, called out. That's what the church means. It means called out. That means church people from today 
to the ones 2,000 years ago are called out to live an otherwise life. But as the story goes, those first church members and today's church members aren't called out of their ordinary lives because the story clearly shows that most of their lives continued on as normal. All those first church members, they all still had to eat. They all got sick. They got into arguments. They lied. People talked about them behind their backs, and then they returned the favor. Their loved ones, their friends, they died just like ours. They were ridiculed just like us. They struggled to pay their bills just like us. And all the while, they did manage to do just a little bit of good and help others do a little bit of good before they breathed their last. So in other words, being called out doesn't mean being called out of being ordinary. What it means is that we are called out of believing that life is ordinary in the first place. And so that's lesson number one this morning. Life is extraordinary. Now, if you don't believe me, I've shored up this paper I've written with a little bit of evidence. So on Friday, I opened up the Wausau Daily Herald, the real newspaper. How many of you get the real newspaper these days? All four of you. Okay, well, I opened up the newspaper on Friday like I open it up every Friday, and I read the obituaries. And in just three tiny paragraphs, the second obituary told of a woman named Irene Jablonski Robinson Pomisel. Did any of you know Irene? Boy, I wish I did. So Irene died of leukemia after 18 months of grueling treatment. Irene's doctors wanted her to keep up the treatments, but Irene didn't want to keep up the treatments. So she decided to stop the treatments because, and as her children write in this obituary, she wanted all those platelets that she was getting to survive to go to someone else. I want you to think about that for a minute. Irene chose to die so that others might live. She never knew the people she helped, and the people she helped will probably never know her name. But she lived and moved in the world with us. Irene had sisters and daughters and 11 grandchildren. But she chose to give what chance she had to live to someone else. And in her final wishes, she said, and this comes from the obituary, she says, don't you write me some long obituary. And by the way, don't you have a church service either? And so her kids, at the end of their mom's obituary, say this, and I quote, Her faith was a testament to her life, and she is dancing with the angels. By their fruits ye shall know them. Irene was called out. In that same paper on Friday, I read about a young man by the name of Jason Pientka, Did you see this guy on WSAW or anything? Oh, it's wonderful. So he decided to attempt to paddle the whole length of the Wisconsin River. And he decided to do this because he wanted to challenge himself, but he also wanted to raise awareness about the need to clean up Wisconsin's waterways. And so I was really impressed with Jason's adventure, mainly because I'm a wimp and I would never attempt anything like this. But as I read the article, I became far more impressed with Jason's girlfriend, and her name is Megan, and she's a pharmacist, and she's a paddler, like her boyfriend, too. 
And so Megan said that she's been urging Jason to take this adventure ever since he mentioned it. Be careful what you mention to your significant others. You might end up on the Wisconsin River. She made Jason believe he could do this. She helped him plan this thing. She drove the support, pe- support vehicle along the river, and she made sure that Jason stayed fed. And when his clothes got wet, she made sure that Jason was dry. And so when the interview asked, why, Megan, are you so supportive? Why are you willing to sacrifice so much for your boyfriend's adventure? This is what she said, and this is a direct quote. Because when you love somebody, sometimes their dreams become your dreams. Megan, the small-town pharmacist, has the power to make someone else's dreams come true. By their fruits ye shall know them, Megan was called out. The genius mystic Howard Thurman, he said that there are two areas in need in all of us, and these areas of need are things in which we are all involved. And so one area of need is our desire, or our need, to use his word, to find something to worship. He believed that there is something natural in the human soul that insists upon offering one's gifts to something outside of ourselves, something that we need to believe in, something we think is worthy. And so we might say that Irene and Jason and Megan offered their precious gifts to someone else, to strangers, to friends, to the earth that is our home, to dreams of a better world. Thurman said that the other area of need is the need to be part of the family. And by that, he meant the human family. Thurman says that all of us are part of the very, and I quote, pulsating rhythm of existence. I am not a thing apart, he would say. I am not a separate unit. For better or worse, he writes, there is but one family under God, and I am a member of it. And you are too. And that means our lives are bound up together, whether we like it or not. And when we say we are a family, what's implied is that by some measure, we belong each to the other. We're brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers and children of each other. But we tend to forget this rather easily. And most of the time, whenever we're reminded of it, it's whenever disaster strikes. So a tornado tears through town and it takes out homes and businesses. And by the next day, what happens? Everybody's outside, and they've pitched in to clean up. And the local YMCA has been turned into a makeshift hotel, and everyone's helping everyone by cooking and cleaning and rebuilding. Here's a non-disaster example. Maybe it's true. It'll just show how sappy I am if it is true. So say you're at a high school graduation of your sister, for instance, and you see your sister walk across that stage and you get so filled with pride, you realize you're shoulder to shoulder with some perfect stranger, and then you look over and you notice that in their eyes are some tears falling down, and then I realize there's tears falling down in my eyes, and suddenly I'm hugging this perfectly good stranger who I've never met before. I don't even get a chance to ask her name. Or here's another disaster story. A local kid gets cancer, and the whole town decides to donate 40,000 bucks to buy the family a new van so that it can fit his wheelchair. What all these examples are pointing at is this. The church calls us out, 
And it says that's how it's supposed to be. That's the job. That's what you signed up for. It says your family needs you. In a world in which the news is not well, in a world in which we are not well, we're called to be otherwise. To testify that in the end it will not be our will, but life's will that wins. Death is not the end. The end is life because love is the victor. In the end, the story of the church goes like this. Love is the victor. But when the church says love, it's not that mushy or romantic or greeting card type of love. The kind of love that happens at church is the way families love each other. Like when they fight tooth and nail and drive each other crazy, knowing deep down they belong to each other, one to the other. And that's what we're working on here. We're working on ourselves. We're working on our sense of responsibility. We're working to direct our hearts and minds away from our egos and onto the needs of the people here in our midst and in the world at large. Sometimes the work we do will make us feel like we are floating three feet off the ground. And other times we'll feel like we can't even stand up. But being good alone is good for nothing. What was the church called to do? It was called to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to put others first. And you and I are as in need of healing as everyone else. And heaven knows we've got a demon or two that needs removal. And that's why we worship. That's why we sing. We do so because the mission of this church is transformation. Transformation, personal and otherwise, and transformation is hard, and it takes practice, and we need accountability partners. Every single thing I've said is right there in the mission and vision of this church, and I am proud to be the minister of a church with so much ambition. There are lots of different kinds of communities in this world, but this one is different. This is a religious community. It's called a church. And long before church buildings and committees and bylaws and clergy, there were people called out. And all of this could be washed away, and so long as there were people in need, there'd be a need for the church. In the words of Wendell Berry, we are all holy creatures living among holy creatures in a world that is holy. And nothing can change this. The church started with 15 or so people who said, I'm going to try, and I'm going to try and put others first. I'm going to do my best to help make other people's dreams come true. I'm going to take seriously the corner of the world I live in. And let us remember this day that being called out doesn't mean being called out of being ordinary. It means you've been called out of believing that life is ordinary in the first place. Amen. You're welcome to rise in spirit or body for our closing hymn, number 301, Touch the Earth, Reach the Sky.
you came here with someone that you like or love, you're welcome to take their hand now. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Please have a seat. You're welcome to relax and enjoy the postlude, and I hope to say hi to you on your way to mingle or on your way out this morning. <laughs>